At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, good day, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whatever time it is by you. Welcome to Line Drive Radio, your favorite baseball podcast. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the board here on Long Island, the great state of New York. As always, it's time to bring on my Line Drive teammate from the great city of Chicago, Mr. Ted Bamford. Hey, Ted, it's been a week. What's going down in Chi-Town? Uh, well, uh, fastballs from the Pittsburgh Pirates last night. Woo-hoo! Actually, they were going up and out. Uh, nice eight-run first inning for the offensively deficient Cubs. Uh, Mark Grace must have been in town and took the team out for a slump buster. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, it's, it, you know, it, it's, we finally got summer weather. You know, we joke in Chicago that it's spring and fall are optional sometimes. And we went from, like, 40 and rain to like 92 last week and we were down in Indianapolis for a travel tournament for the kid and it was hotter than hell. How'd it go, bud? It was, uh, it didn't end the way we wanted it to. It was, it was a loaded tournament. Uh, and, uh, we slaughtered in our first two games. Uh, the kid was perfect at the plate, which was nice. Had a couple stolen bases. Uh, and then, uh, Sunday was the, uh, was the gauntlet. Uh, we ended up being the, there were, I think 48 teams in, uh, just the 12 U okay. tournament entered, uh, the top 16 made the championship bracket. We entered the, the, the gold bracket as they call it as the fourth overall seed, you know, having allowed just six runs in our two games. So the, it, I mean, it's crazy. So they had two locations. Indy's amazing. Westfield is a gorgeous complex. Um, but you basically played uh, like a round robin type bracket within a division, and you had to win two at least. You, you played two games guaranteed. If you won both games, you got into the championship bracket. If you went one and one in your first two, you had to play a third game. Uh, and if you won that, then if your runs were right, you got to move on to the championship bracket on Sunday. So played a game late Friday night. And then we played a game first thing Saturday morning, won them both, uh, 17-6 uh, and 11-1, respectively. So nice. Uh, we allowed six runs in the two games. Uh, so, no, it was, uh, it, was, it was 11 nothing in the second. So we ended up with like a plus 21-run differential in the two games, but we allowed six runs. So we were the fourth overall seed. 
Um, but then you get into the championship bracket, and if you run the table, you got to play four games on Sunday. And it, when our first game was at noon, and it was ninety three in the shade on and turf. Are these tab are these full six seven inning games or nine? How many innings the kids playing at six, six inning games? That's a but, lot of ball, man. I mean, I mean, so we we ended up with a team that was pretty good, and they rolled out a pitcher again. This is twelve U, who's probably somewhere in the five eleven six foot range, throwing about seventy miles an hour with a big fat curveball. And their coach, and again, this is one of those things where you're play, you you might you have to plan to play four games on in one day if you want to win a championship. So their coaches rode the kid the entire game. He threw 92 pitches, which we'll do an entire other podcast about youth coaches wearing their kids out and beating yeah. their arms up because he was at 74 pitches before the sixth inning. That's that's crazy. And yep. our, our coaches usually, I think the most we've ever gone is like 73 last year. Um, and that's because a kid was rolling and he only had one really heavy inning. The rest of them were like 10 or 11 pitches and he said he felt good. But the second he ran out of gas in the last inning, we went to the bullpen immediately. Um, but I mean, starting another inning after 74 pitches just felt like a lot. And I mean, he, and he was a big kid. I mean, we were like, which high school is this 12 year old going to next year? So, or is he currently enrolled in? Cause he was a big boy. But I mean, he, he good pitcher. Uh, our bats didn't do the job. We had runners in scoring position in five of the six innings, and we left them all out there and lost. So tough loss, good learning experience. But the kids played well in the other two games. So now we move on to the next. Now at that age, you you have you, are you really rolling four or five kids who know how to pitch the ball? Yeah, I mean we we will run pretty much any of the twelve kids on our roster out there and pitch them. I mean, some will very, very rarely pitch, but I would say we comfortably probably have seven or eight guys that we can put on the mound who get regular work. Wow. How many kids do you uh, – I'm asking this because, folks, obviously you've been listening to podcasts uh, since the beginning of this season here. This is my first season uh, coaching in the Little League, and uh, my, our kids are, you know, eight, nine, and ten years old, you know, and we're pretty much – you know, we've got two, maybe three kids that can, you know, actually throw the ball somewhat decent. You know, and get over the plate and everything else, and then watching pitch counts and everything, and um, you know, doing the clicker and stuff uh, during the counts. And, and you know, for us, it's it's at that age, and you know, and you know, Tab, it's uh, it's a little more difficult because you're getting it. You're pretty much your teams that I'm finding. Like I said, you have a couple of kids are playing. You know, experience with travel leave, travel travel league. Then you've got a couple of kids that still need to learn the game, and then you have kids that you know, again, are right in the middle somewhere, know a little bit, can play a little decent. But the pitching thing is fascinating because that's that's one of the obviously the toughest thing at the you know yeah. the younger age of the game, you know, as far as getting yeah. a couple of kids and then and watching their pitch count and everything else, and hearing these kids, you know, uh, hearing that you have more than three or four kids that can actually throw the ball pretty well. But I guess. You know they 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 do progress obviously when they get into eleven twelve. Well, and it, you know that's that's the biggest difference. I think when you're playing in a house league, uh, in little league, the whole point of the experience is enjoying the game, playing because you love it. Anybody yeah. and everybody can come play, and as we do every show, we encourage everybody to get out and play the game. Um, and like my oldest son umpires, you know, tenu up to tenu. And he umpired a game last night, and I sat there next to my middle son's best friend's dad, who was there with us for the tournament this weekend. And we were just kind of talking about how much fun these kids were having and how it was just a completely different vibe. Um, because, like you said, 
in a house league, even if you've got 150 kids, you might have three or four that can not only throw it over the plate, but confidently do it. I mean, you watch kids warm up and they're throwing gas, and the second a kid steps in the box, it goes to a rainbow. Because either they're scared of hitting the kid, they get scared of a kid in the box, they don't want it, the ball to get hit. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just there's a lot that goes on there. And so, um, but, in, you know, in a travel situation, you know, you're putting together your, your roster full of ringers. And, yeah. uh, and the other difference is when you're playing a house league, you sign up in January, you get your rosters in March, and the second the ground thaws and the field's dry enough to take infield, you go out and practice a few times, and then the games start. We've been working out with these kids pretty much twice a week since Thanksgiving. Gotcha, yeah. Totally in, indoors. So, you know, we're working on stuff with these pitchers, and we spent the first, you know, we, we played a tournament indoors back in March, and then, you know, this is, I think, our third outdoor tournament already. You know, we, and we, we're in a league as well where we'll pitch kids that maybe don't always get run in the tournaments and getting, you know, building up arm strength. It's just like spring training for major league baseball, you know, or early in the season, we're not going to go over 35 or 40 pitches with, you know, any, anybody on the roster. And in these tournament situations, we're very cognizant. And I, I appreciate that our, our two lead coaches and the third coach, my son's buddy's dad, uh, whose oldest son is actually, throwing really well uh, at UIC. He's, he's a D1 pitcher. Um, you know, they understand not destroying a kid's arm. And so if you want to bring a kid back, if you want to pitch a kid twice in a tournament, you can't throw 70 pitches on Friday night and think that he's going to have any gas left in the tank on Sunday if you if you care about the kid's health yeah. and well-being. So, you know, Shea went out there and threw 39 pitches, I think, on Friday night. And he would have been able to come back and pitch on Sunday because he felt good. And we took care of him. We iced it and, and all the other stuff, uh, which we lost. But he actually plays for a select team at 11U with, with some kids from Michigan as well. So he ended up staying in India and winning a championship with them. And he was on the mound to close out the championship game for them. So, um, But it, it's, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of running kids out there and, and completely blowing them up. Uh, and throwing 90, I think 92 pitches at 12 years old is, is ridiculous. But it, again, this is also a, a very expensive proposition. And a lot of these coaches are in win at all costs mode. Wow. Um, and then there are other ter- teams that get into these tournaments that really are more believers in developing kids and, and getting them experience and growing them because they realize that they're 11 and 12 years old. And, you know, puberty hits at different times for kids, especially at that age. And, you know, some kids are going to be great pitchers at 11 years old and 12 years old, and they're going to end up being a second baseman because guess what? Dad's 5'9", and if your arm's never going to get stronger than 75 miles an hour and you're never going to be six feet tall, you're a middle infielder for life. Um, and other kids are going to be short, and then maybe they hit a growth spurt and end up being six one by the time they, they're a freshman in high school, and it's a different ballgame. So different coaches have different philosophies. That's true in house league and it's different in travel ball. But you know, when you're, when you're paying 200 a night for a hotel and you're driving four hours, the stakes are a little bit deeper for a lot of these teams and the parents involved in emotions run just as hot as the 93 degrees beating down on that artificial turf. So, um, but the kids played pretty well as a whole, you know, we just didn't end up the way that we wanted to, but on to the next and, uh, and thus is life in travel baseball. Absolutely. One last question on this uh, 
sensei here with Little League, my friend. Um, do you see the kids, obviously, when you're playing tournaments and the travel teams and everything else, and you get in, and they get a little older here and the competition gets a lot tougher, how do you find the demeanor of the kids as far as either handling diversity as opposed to when they're, they're younger? Do you see that progression, too, that they get a little more thick-skinned, or is it still uh, as emotional as it may, may, may be or a little confusing as it is for the younger kids when they start out at a younger age? Um, I guess, you know, when you get to that 11, 12-year-old thing, are we calling them veterans at this time? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would say, I mean, we work on a lot of pretty high-level junk. You know, we've got our catcher comes out and gives signs if there's runners on first and third, and we've got specific plays that we'll run where if the kid takes off to steal second base, he'll either snap throw to third or the shortstop will cut off the throw to second base and try and catch the kid off third, stuff like that. So. We work on some fairly high-level stuff for, like, 11- and 12-year-olds, and this is the third year, fourth year that these kids, a lot of the, you know, the majority of these kids have been playing travel ball together. We've added a few over the years, but, you know, I'd say of the 12 kids on the team, probably seven of them have been together for four years. So, yeah, but I think, you know, as far as, like, dealing with adversity – that every kid is going to respond differently to different types of motivation, different levels of performance. And there's really, I don't care if it's house league or the highest level travel humanly possible. There's an emotional intelligence factor that I think any good coach needs to develop because there are some kids that get down on themselves. If a curveball is called a strike and they didn't like the pitch and the entire rest of the at bat and they might carry it into the field with them. How do you get that kid back in the right headspace versus the kid that's just happy go lucky, doesn't care about anything in the world, swings at a pitch in his eye, slaps himself on the helmet and then, you know, pulls up the knickers a little bit and adjusts the socks and goes out and slaps a single the other way in the next pitch. You got different kids that are going to respond different ways, but I will say when with the travel stuff, when you work on it as long as you have, and you you kind of you start to develop similar refrains with what you're saying to kids. I'm working on the same stuff over and over and over again because they're kids. It's hard to remember that these are kids. Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes the pressure can mount a little bit more. You know, when you're watching, I was watching the house league game last night, and you know the coaches are just encouraging the kids because there's really nothing on the line here. Whereas, like, we're playing in a tournament, and you know that there are scouts there from USA Baseball that are looking at building these, like, national 14U teams in a year, and they're writing down names and numbers, and the coaches know it, and they want their kids to look good, whether it's their actual biological kids or kids on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there, so there's all sorts of other pressures that go into this stuff yeah. that just starts to ramp it up. And there are times that, honestly, I sit back and wonder if it's the right situation. And then there are other times that you're like, yeah, you know what? My kid's growing. Like my kid will, you know, sit a couple innings on the bench every game. And he has a great disposition and knows that he's part of the team. And, you know, he gets upset when he's not playing because he wants nothing better to do in the world. There's nothing he wants to do more than play baseball. He would play 24 hours a day if he could, which is why I justify spending the money on it because it, it courses through the kid's veins. I mean, he Three years ago, he'd, he'd play a triple header. He'd, he was playing house and travel. He'd go play a double header for travel, come home, play a house game, and then go out in the backyard and throw with the pitch and catch in the backyard. Wow. I'm like, how's your arm not falling off? But he was nine, so it's what you do. He's eight years old. 
But there are other kids that take it way too seriously and are staring at their stats in the app Game Changer. I don't know if you guys use that. Yeah, we you have should. Um, yeah, I mean, we use yeah, it for so scheduling the, and everything. The, we the, haven't been using it yet to, to do the stats and all that stuff yet. But, yeah, so it tracks everything. I mean, you can have hard hit ball rate. You can, I mean, all the next level stats that just feels way too heady again for kids. But they updated the app this year. Now you can stream games. Yeah, I saw that. So yep. if you've got a little rig that you can mount behind the plate somewhere at your own risk, um, you can stream the game so people at home can watch, which is great for these travel tournaments because grandma and grandpa aren't going to drive to Indy at five bucks a gallon <laughs> to watch your kid play baseball. Um, and funny story, one of the dads was trying to stream a game for the first time and first swing my kid had, followed it straight back and shattered the dude's cell phone screen. <laughs> That's awesome. So we're so we so we've got a, a group chat on GroupMe with all the parents and everybody that was home at home was like, "What did Bobby do?" Because we lost it because the phone went off, and the dad just jumped back and, and he, he actually came to and said, "Tab, can you text everybody and say live streams down because Bobby broke the phone with a fall ball." <laughs> so, uh, so he had to go find a Verizon store in Indianapolis and get a new phone because his, his iPhone took one for the team. Unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody's going to have different disposition and it's just having the emotional intelligence to know which kids you can ride hard, which ones you don't need to necessarily ride as hard and which ones you really got to jump on. So uh, a lot going on there. Uh, I think that's true of any team at any level. But I think when you start putting more money in the table and you start talking about scouting and all that other garbage, it just ratchets up a lot of the pressure that the kids feel because the parents are, are acknowledging that they feel it as well. And the coaches are talking about it, so yeah, yeah, it's something else. Well, I'm enjoying it, man. Our little guys here too. It's, I love the, the the little guys who actually have it and, and can make contact and drive the ball. Uh, you know, you know, the, learning the game is. Um, I mean, the contrast between both is great. It's healthy because at least the teammates they can see the the kids who kind of have it and the you know and the kids who don't, and, and it's a, it's a combined learning uh, experience and. Uh, Last thing, uh, my uh, my little guy. <laughs> Sunday we played uh, tie ball game, bottom of the sixth, bases loaded, two outs. <laughs> he shows ice in his veins, and my little guy, and he takes the walk off walk. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sitting there because it would have been. Uh, I would tell you, it was just you know, as a dad, you I'm sitting down there, first base coach, and I'm just watching this, and I'm like. He's, he's doing this. Uh, he's doing this Gardner thing where he's, you know, he's standing up the plate and he's just, uh, you know, he's been starting to swing a lot. But man, he likes that. Uh, he likes to work the pitcher, man. And he did it. And it just could have hey, been. It, it could have been devastating it. for him, right? Start, you know, doing the last out with three guys on base, <laughs> and they all jumped all over him. So it was, it was fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, Bobby had a walk off hit by pitch. Oh, there you go. <laughs> years ago. And it was and it, it, like the kid, it, it, and, and when you would, now the kids are throwing like seventy. They aren't quite as happy and willing and able to take yeah. a fastball. But <laughs> I mean, when he started up and the kids weren't throwing that hard, I mean, he was a psychopath. He'd get hit and he'd drop his bat and just like smile at the pitcher and run out. And I'm like, <laughs> you're screwing that dude's brain into the ground if you're getting plunked by his heat and laughing about it, running the first, not even rubbing anything. Oh man! Uh, but yeah, he. You know, you hear teams at the major league level saying hard 90 when they get hit by a pitch. So they're yelling like hard 54, whatever the bases were at that point. 
He gets he gets drilled square between the shoulder blades, bat flips, <laughs> sprints to first base. It's a riot, man. <laughs> as, as the as the game ends and they're like jumping on jumping on him at first base, and I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, I guess he earned it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Oh man, wins a win, man. So man. hey, good for him. Absolutely, walk man. it literally, walk it off. Walk it off, baby. Well, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying it so much. And, again, like Tab says every week, and I'll second that. Just get involved in the game if you can and um, be a part of it because it's a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot of great stuff going on out there. All right. Let's now switch into the big leagues here at LDR. As uh, we're cracking the 35-game the mark in the big leagues. And, Tab, there's only one team in Major League Baseball right now with 26 wins. And less than 10 losses. And they, oh, uh, they play about 45 minutes away from me here in the Bronx, baby. Boogie Down Bronx. How you doing? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to argue. Uh, we Everybody thought the American League East was going to be the best division. And I, I'm in no way, shape, or form attempting to diminish what the Yankees are doing in any way, shape, or form here. But it is surprising that every other team in that division has a negative run differential. Oh, it's terrible. It, like, it, it's just, it's not ideal. But, and here's the Yankees with a major league leading plus 73. What did you just say? In 35 games. Plus what did you just say? 73 oh, yeah. in 35 games. Yeah, Looking no, around. The, nobody the, liked the trades. Nobody liked the changes. Look, look what's happening. Dodgers are, the Dodgers are plus 71. And then the next... Best in the league is the Angels at plus fifty four. The fight in Shohei's. Um, so, which by the way, I loved uh, Albert Pujols coming in with his team blowing out a win. Uh, and I think you saw me tweet, "Take that Shohei," because now the only players to pitch in a game and have six hundred home runs on their resume are Babe Ruth and Albert Pujols. What a trip that was, man! I mean, it, it's but, great to be alive watching this stuff, Tab, man. <laughs> So, Paul, my question is, if Pujols pitched in a game and he has that distinction on his resume, when he goes into Cooperstown, presumably five years from now, do they put pitcher as one of the positions of record on his plaque in Cooperstown? <laughs> I think I was asking you that about Shohei last week. <laughs> I'm going to have yeah, I'm gonna have to reach out to my friends at the hall and see, look, he threw an inning. You know, when he started, you know, McGuire was playing first, so there was a little third, there was a little outfield. Um you know, how many positions are we qualifying for a Hall of Fame plaque? Because I think relief pitcher should be on Albert's plaque now. I like it. I say yeah. He, I say he yeah. doesn't he doesn't have a perfect ERA like your friend and formerly mine, Tony Riz, uh, who is the greatest <laughs> relief pitcher and leadoff hitter in the history of baseball. But uh but no, look, the Yankees are rolling right now. They're fourteen and four at Yankee Stadium, they're twelve and five on the road, eight and two in their last ten. They've only allowed 100 runs in 35 games, which I think is the more exciting part for them. The 173. They don't even, they don't even need Chappie anymore. He comes the, in and he's causing trouble. Keep him in yeah, the I mean, you're, They're overpaying their closer because they never have to use him. It's, it's uh, amazing. No, the, the 173 is a good number, but only 100 runs scored against them in 35 games is amazing. That's less than three a game. And that's what you want. And so, you know, good for the Yankees for getting getting hot early because I think we all agree and we're going to we're going to go in on the Blue Jays later on today but I think we all agree that Tampa's not going to be 
very far off their heels a lot this year. You know, Wander Franco's scuffling a little bit right now. Their bats are trying to figure some stuff out. Boston's a hot mess. They're barely trying to stay ahead of Baltimore, who's lost their last four. Um, and we might have a fire sale in Boston here at some point this year if things keep going the way that they're trending. But, you know, the Yang- this is what we talk about, you know, in our season preview show, Paul. You can't win a division in April and May, but you can lose it. And you have to take advantage of the teams that you have on the schedule when you have them. And you got to win the games that you're supposed to. And the Yankees are winning a lot of games right now, 26-9 to start the season. So good on the Bombers, and we'll see if they can if they can keep it because they're trying to just stay ahead of the team on the other side of town right now, the 23-13 and 13 Mets, who, like the Yankees, have a five-and-a-half game lead in the East. Yeah, um, happy for them. Playing good ball without again. Degrom, without Degrom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they've had to do this before. I mean, you know, but yeah, you know. Hey, look. Uh, as far as the Yankees side, you know, this is good. They haven't hit any injuries yet, um, which is you know, which is great. Knock, so, on, knock on wood immediately. Yeah, but if you know, you know how least, that jinx works. Yeah, it's like saying no hit. They put themselves in a good spot here. Like if that happens anytime soon, they've got a little bit of a cushion now because of the strong start. The lineup is playing really well together. There's some great chemistry going on, and the and the pitching has just been, it's it's just been better than good enough, which has uh, been a question mark uh, beyond uh, you know Cole. Cortez has been Cortez fantastic. is just he's is just out of this and world. the I mean look the lip sweaters next level and the guy's got like the the funky you know he'll go from Juan Marichal to having just a little bit of a stutter to having a little Mark Fidrich in there. I mean, you never know how the guy's going to release the ball in any two pitches in a row. Um, but the fact that he's out there just crushing it with that amazing soup strainer on the upper lip is just majestic. <laughs> so good for Cortez. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the Mets, hey, fair play. You know, you look at it this way, too. Uh, the Yanks now, or at least, they're, they're doing a combo of two things. And I guess, you know, the Mets are doing the same thing, too. You got to, um, you know, you struggle. The Yankees struggled a little bit in the beginning there, a couple of, you know, uh, crappy series there against the Guardians and the Orioles. But now they're starting to take care of business. They're beating the teams they're supposed to beat. And they're winning series against, um, uh, you know, the, the, the teams that are, um, you know, a little closer to, uh, you know, as far as quality and, and competitiveness as far as the Yankees. So they're they're doing a good mix of both. And you'd have to say that about the Mets as well, too. And, yeah, you're right. They're doing that with the Grom. Um, so far, the fighting Buck Walters are um, – you know they're they're fighting along here. They haven't gotten to a brawl here, I don't think, in, in about a month. So which is good. And um, overdue, hey, overdue. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, so maybe uh, you know, when's the Subway Series coming up here soon? I'm sure when, that'll when be a good get, one. When, when do they get the When do they get the Marlins next? Because they like to go up and in. <laughs> maybe we'll get a brouhaha with the Marlins. Well, that's the thing too. I mean, uh, I, like I said, I don't wanna, I don't want to taint anything. I think you have to also look at the quality of the uh, opponents you're playing in 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 your in your league right now. Um, so, I mean, you know, you look up and down the standings here in terms of how else everybody else is playing and stuff, but, um, look, it, it's good stuff. I'll always say as far as the Mets are concerned, and I'm not, you know, uh, as far as the Yanks being a Yankee fan, you know, uh, it's great the way the guys are hitting and playing and stuff like this. And, and you, you never take, uh, a good start for granted, but like I said, it's a long stretch. Um, and October's when you really need everybody. The Yankees, have in these past, you know they've had ninety plus wins here the last you know, four seasons on the Booney here so it's nothing new as far as them playing well, um, but this lineup's looking good and hopefully it'll all be together and these guys will be able to play a combo of both the long ball and the small ball and hopefully the pitching staff will be healthy 
um, at the end of the year. And of course, that's a obvious thing to say for every team. But so far, so good. And uh, yeah, yeah, well, and, and look, the other reality here is that you know there are other teams that are in position to do some damage in the American League that have already started to have issues. Um, you know, Minnesota, Byron Buxton missed a little bit of time. He's always kind of that ticking time bomb player where he's shows that he's got the talent of just, you know, he's talent wise. He's in the same conversation as Mike Trout, but the dude can't stay on the field. And Minnesota, you know, is dealing without Correa right now. They're winning a division. And last night, you know, the Astros are playing at Fenway and Jake Odorizzi, you know, little uh, PFP, go, you know, breaks off the mound to go cover first base, takes two steps and goes down. Yeah. Scary scene. Um, you know, just took a couple steps and just face planted and was in agony on the field. There's been speculation on social that it was an Achilles injury. I haven't seen anything confirmed yet, but I mean, it sucks for the Astros because he had, he was just, you know, really grooving right now. Uh, a big part of them being percentage point wise, basically tied with the angels for first place in the West. Um, and if that is indeed an Achilles, his year's over and that's a big blow to the Astros pitching staff. So that's why I say, when you say the Yankees haven't dealt with injuries yet, go knock on wood because it, just about everybody else in the American League right now has had people. I mean, the White Sox are without Aloy Jimenez. Uh, you know, the White, the Twins are dealing without Correa. You know, the Red Sox don't have Chris Sale. Uh, you know, every you know the the Rays are going without Glass now for most of the season. It looks like if not all of it. So everybody's missing guys in action, and the Yankees are keeping everybody on the field, and everybody's producing at the same time. So strike while the iron's hot and build that cushion while you can, because like you said. You know, at some point it's going to show up, uh, and you got to be able to withstand it. And even t- if you do take a step back for a week or two, be able to stay where you are in the standings. And that's what's so hard in baseball. So, uh, again, knock on wood for the Yanks if you're cheering for the pinstripes, because so far they've they've been able to stay healthy and just keep everybody hot. Yeah, and uh, the additions have been great. Donaldson, uh, Falefa have been just fantastic. Uh, I mean, then you get Trevino coming in play well. I mean, it's just a great. Uh, compliment of everything that's going on here. And, and Booney seems to be just running a really good ship right now. So uh, we're happy here in the Bronx. We're enjoying it. Uh, just real quick, looking at the National League um, West here, uh, you know, the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants, man, it's some good stuff going on there too. Um, all of them plus 20 wins here. And the numbers are pretty good there too in terms of the run differentials as far as, you know, where the Giants are. Um, and, you know, we were talking about at the beginning of the season there too as far as, you know, the Dodgers with this stack team and everything else. And uh, the Padres and the Giants are going to be there, man. There's no doubt about it. It's yeah, and the, you know, we talk about injuries. Kershaw's on the shelf here. Um, the back, I guess, flared up a little bit. You know, but the Padres are dealing without Tatis right now. You um, Darvish has kind of been up and down. The Giants, you know, again, you look at that team on paper, and you're like, how, what kind of smoke and mirrors is Gabe Kapler working with here? Which, <laughs> if you've been to a Giants game, you know that there might not be mirrors in the stands, but there occasionally is a little smoke, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and, you know, how, you know, we, we, we were all on the Rockies bandwagon. They've kind of settled back down to earth. They're only 5 and 10 away from cool. A embarrassing so. there being below the Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, you know, but we've talked about this. The Diamondbacks are bringing some young kids up. Five hundred. Uh, you know, Perdomo didn't have much for him at the plate last night, but he's playing a good defensive shortstop. Alec Thomas is now up, uh, you know, running like the wind. Uh, and so 
you know, the fact that, you know, the Rockies are in dead last and they're only one game under 500, one game under 500 would have you comfortably in third place in the National League Central and they'd be tied with the Phillies for second in the National League East. And they're dead last, and they've only won two of their last ten. So uh, that looks like the the division uh, of world beaters once again this year. Uh, you know, the teams like the Phillies and Marlins and Braves, who are off to a brutal start, they're not hitting the ball at all. And Cardinals, they're all going to have to fight to get that second wild card berth with the teams out in the West. So um, already starting to shape up like you might have some teams uh, interested in uh, making a move earlier than later to start getting that positioning worked out uh, because it's, it looks like it's going to be a long season in the National League. No doubt about it. So you want to start off here in the Central um, as far as uh, the Cincinnati Reds. The Red and the oh, White. Yeah, uh-huh. The Red and the White Fine. here. Yeah, so I mean... let, let's, let's talk here for a second. So <laughs> um, they, were, they, were, they, they were the bad force last week, and we got to give them a little bit of props here because after we buried them, and through and through dirt uh, on the grave and everything else, uh, they're they six do and have four an identical record to the Yanks, though. It's just opposite. Yeah, I mean, if, if yeah, just flip it and you're good. Uh, four and seventeen on the road. Yeah, <laughs> Dios mio. Um, <laughs> but look, they're six and four in their last ten. So things are put it this way: they're six and four in their last ten, and they're nine and twenty-six Say overall. There's so. a chance, Dan. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's a chance. Uh, like we said, I mean, even that terrible Xfinity commercial or whatever it is with the Ghostbusters stuff—they're blowing up the Reds mascot. Yeah. So in the last episode of Line Drive Radio, we kind of buried the Reds and talked about how bad things are, uh, and you know they've been a little bit better. So we'll give them a little kudos on that. Uh, you know, winners of six of their last ten—the baby steps. Um, and we talked a little bit about the struggles that Hunter Green, their young phenom, was having with you know the fact that teams were teeing off on his 102-mile-an-hour fastball. Well, Hunter Green goes out there on Sunday. We get in the car, Bobby, my son, and I, to come home from Indianapolis, and he pulls out his iPad, and he's looking at what's going on in baseball, and we drive through McDonald's because that what you, that's what you do before three hours on the road when you didn't have much for breakfast. <laughs> and uh, and he, he says, oh, we got no hitter watch in Cincinnati. And I said, what inning is it? He said, it's the fifth inning. Hunter Green hasn't allowed a hit. I'm like, talk to me in the seventh inning. I don't, I don't care about no hitter watch until the seventh inning. And you get to the seventh. Still got nothing. Uh, eighth inning. Uh, he's still out there. Oh, he walked, uh, walked, walked. Uh oh, they're going to the bullpen. Uh, and they go to the bullpen, and Cabrian Hayes grounds into a fielder's choice, run scores. They're in on the road in Pittsburgh. So it's 1 nothing Pittsburgh after eight, and the Pirates have zero hits. And the Reds go down uh, haplessly in the top of the ninth, and the Reds threw a combined no hitter and lost. And lost. To the Pittsburgh Pirates, one to nothing. Hunter Green walked five, struck out nine in seven and a third. Combined no hitter for the Reds. Yeah, I mean, hey, your Yanks had that back in, I think it was 1989 or 90. Melito Perez took the L in a no hitter. Um, That's a long day, man. That's a long ass day to come up empty like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you celebrate a no hitter if you lose? (laughs) Like, that's got to be the. hardest like mix of emotions humanly possible right oh. you did something incredibly special and threw a no hitter 
and you still took the L. I mean, if, if, if there's, if there isn't a sign that things are really off the rails in Cincinnati, it's that, you no hit the Pittsburgh pirates and lost. There's not much more to really comment on it. And and the next day, the Pirates go out and give up eight runs in the first inning to the Chicago Cubs, whose offense has been, you know, up and down all year. I mean, the Cubs were 4-11 at Wrigley Field before last night's game, and they go out and hang an eight spot. And we're going to dig in a little bit on that here when we get into the good and the bad, but, you know. Hey, Teb, on the – seeing Green here go seven innings, Cortez went seven innings the other day. Do you see this a little bit? It seems like, uh, you know, in a, in a usually a five five inning capacity here in Major League Baseball these days, it's been a nice treat to actually see um, some of these guys going a little longer here and pitching some good ball deep into the games. Where do you see that at? Is uh, is that just a good sign for the pitching in the MLB, or is this a bad sign for uh, the hitting? I mean, even in the even the Yankees the other day just having a little tough time. Even Chicago, the pitching was great uh, across the series. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but what's your take on that air a little bit as far as these guys going a little Well, I, I, I think, you know, we talked last year in the first season of Line Drive Radio about, you know, where pitchers were at. And I think what you're starting to see now is kind of you're, you're coming back to a sense of normalcy in Major League Baseball where you had the pandemic year in 2020 where you kind of jump-started everything and you're going with a six- or seven-man rotation because guys didn't have a lot of time to ramp up and then it was a short-season sprint to the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So a lot of guys were just kind of getting to the point after six or seven starts that they're really ready to go deep and and the weather's getting cold and you're into the playoffs and the regular season's over already. You know, it takes time to get these pitchers up to the point that they're ready to go 105, 110 pitches and some organizations don't even go there anymore. But I think you're seeing more teams... Uh, putting an emphasis on balls in play, uh, which is good for the game. So I think you're starting to see guys able to get a little bit deeper with lower pitch counts. And I think that you're just now, last year, again, short off season. Um, you know, you, the previous year was different. You didn't know what the COVID protocols, what everything was going to look like. Um, and so I think you're starting to get back, even with the lockout abbreviating spring training this year, you're starting to get back to some normalcy here where starting pitchers are able to go six, seven innings uh, and even deeper in some cases. Uh, And so I think it's good for the game, but I think it's a combination of pitchers being back on a normal schedule, uh, being able to get the the regular arm strength that they would theoretically have like up until 2019 um, with a full workload. And then also more balls in play uh, is leading to guys being able to keep their pitch count down a little bit. I mean, Green, I think, was over 110 and seven and a third. So he was probably done anyway, but he had a no-hitter going, so you keep riding it. Mm-hmm. Um, unless, of course, you're Dave Roberts and you love pulling guys with a no-hitter, no a perfect game going. <laughs> I think he's pulled a guy. I think, I think Dave Roberts has pulled a guy with a no-hitter three times in the last five, four or five years. Unreal. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I think it's a, it's a combination of balls in play and pitchers just getting back to a sense of normalcy with arm strength and comfort level on the mound and workload. Yeah, it's good. It's old time ball, man. You know, it, it's it's amazing how it it, it impacts um, everything because obviously, especially with the pitching staff, it gets to rest your yeah. uh, relievers. You know, and, and I I like it too because I love seeing managers manage here a little bit and having the confidence to uh, to roll these guys out a little longer and and, and let them pitch just like. Uh, well, I think after the last place. two years too, I think managers are very aware of even with expanded rosters at times 
teams because of, you know, wanting to keep pitchers healthy. I think that they're very aware that it's very easy to burn out a bullpen, just as easy it is as it is to burn out a starting rotation. And so if you've got a guy rolling and he feels comfortable and he's healthy and he's good to go, if you don't need to use five guys out of the bullpen on Monday, save them so that you can use them on Tuesday and Wednesday when you might actually need them because a guy can only give you four and a third or five or whatever. So I think that you've got some managers that are also trying to find ways that they can save their bullpen as much as they can save their starters. And if you're rolling offensively, uh, you know, it's easy to do. If you're the Reds and you got a no-hitter going, obviously you want to give this kid who's a rookie this year the opportunity to do something incredibly special. And unfortunately, what was special about it is they combined on the no-no and still found a way to lose the game. And you figured it would have been a lock against the Pirates. Oh, well. Anyway, me and Tab are going to find out one day if we'll be invited into Pittsburgh to do our show live. We'll see what happens. But anyway, speaking of managers. Get some of that good Steel City beer. <laughs> Makes Bud Light taste like. I'm going to wear my Rangers jersey. God. Oh, oh, did I just oh, do a hockey Uh-oh. thing? I'm sorry. Sorry about that, oh, Pittsburgh. Anyway, uh, speaking of uh, managers and coaches. Like uh, Kruba's elbow. Ch- they didn't see that one coming. <laughs> oh, but they, they never saw Matt Cook's elbows years ago either. Uh, That's you know, true. When he That's suited true. up next to his boy Sid as well. Anyway, I digress. Speaking of spe- hey, but great, great uh, sidetrack here to our net, our third and final headline. As we're trashing the city of Pittsburgh, Terry Bradshaw got fired. I know. <laughs> no, not the Steelers quarterback. Yes. Not the Steelers quarterback. He'll be back doing shingles commercials for Fox on uh, NFL weekends this fall. Uh, Terry Bradshaw, the na- the namesake of uh, the the great uh, Steelers teams, was the actual name of the hitting coach that the Royals fired on Monday because it was his fault that their team wasn't hitting the ball very well. Uh, so they sent, him, I, they sent him back to what is he? He's on C- no, he's on Fox, right? The CBS. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's he's he's, he's going to go be the butt of Strahan's jokes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Terry Bradshaw, the hitting coach of the Royals, now uh, filing, uh, updating his LinkedIn profile um, because a bad team decided that it was a hitting coach's fault that the bad team wasn't hitting the ball. Oh, man. Uh, I always laugh when it's the hitting coach that goes first. It's like a new voice in the room is going to suddenly get Bobby Wood Jr. to finish puberty. Um, so Any truth yeah, to the that, rumor that Barry Trotz might be replacing Terry Bradshaw in Kansas City? I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked at all. Maybe poor, do the you know, Royals Pete, need a new voice, Tab? I mean, maybe they'll hire Pete DeBoer and everybody will get hurt. Uh, oh, so, man. and with that, we, uh, we're going to go ahead and, you know, close Pandora's box of hockey jokes at the expense of folks that uh, enjoy the, enjoy the puck as much as the baseball. But, uh, but no, you know, I think, I think we thoroughly teed off on the poor city of Pittsburgh right now. The Penguins season is over. The Pirates uh, somehow found a way to win a no hitter. <laughs> And uh, and the Steelers uh, now have to deal with not only did Terry Bradshaw get fired, but they're starting a season with Mitchell Trubisky as their starting quarterback. Ooh. And on behalf of Chicago, I wish you the best of luck, kids. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. So we've got a, we've got a hitting coach get fired. We've got a no hitter lost. Uh, and uh, and again, you know, down in Houston, uh, you know, we're hoping for the best for Jake Odorizzi. But that that was uh, not an ideal scene at Fenway Park last night. Mm-hmm. All right, pal. Uh, Astros are hurting a little bit there too, as well. You want to talk about uh, their latest uh, guy going on the IL? Yeah, I mean, I think if you haven't seen it, folks, go look on social. I'm sure you can find a thousand copies of the video. 
Um, but yeah, just a, you know, doing what he's supposed to do, follows through on a pitch, uh, ground ball hit to the first baseman. Odorizzi takes a couple steps towards first and goes down. Uh, and uh, again, social speculation is that it's an Achilles. It certainly looked like that. Two steps and the sniper got him in the heel. And it's just tough scene. You don't see a cart come out very often on a baseball field, but he got carted off. And you could tell from the look on his face that it was bad. So a guy who was rolling, uh, you know, we, we hope for the best for Jake because he was pitching well. And that's a big loss for the Astros rotation because he was a veteran that was helping carry some of those young Young guys, uh, you know, Granky's gone. Verlander's been amazing. Um, but Odorizzi was a really strong number two for them, and he is uh, he, he looks like he's going to miss a while. We wish Jake the best. Another great baseball name as far as I'm concerned. I, I see Jake's name, and I think Alima Zilli. I love the double Zs in names too. But, uh, yeah, uh, tough to watch. Odorizzi sounds like a product that they would sell to get the smell of a baseball gear bag out of your car on a hot summer. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's in yeah. soccer shops in Italy, buddy. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Which actually, uh, if you get a chance to read it for those that enjoy the soccer and everything else, a kind of a fire and brimstone article on the athletic about, uh, Mike Piazza buying an Italian soccer club and how that did not go as well as Piazza would have hoped. Well, at least uh, I give him credit for buying an Italian league and not one of these MLS leagues teams. All right, that's 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 all I'm going to say right there. Not a big fan. Piazza, Piazza's a good-looking human being, but if David Beckham's buying teams, you really have to look yourself in the mirror, literally, and say, "Is this the world that I want to be a part of?" <laughs> all right. <laughs> With that said, let's chuckle on over to the good in MLB, and like I said, we wish uh, Jake the best there. Heal it up. I don't know if we wish the best for the Pirates, but that's just me and Ted. Anyway, we want to talk a little uh, Wilson Contreras, because that's, that's some good stuff going on. Ted, take it away, bud. Well, it's, it's good, but with a huge caveat. Um, so, as I said earlier, the Cubs came into last night, Monday night's game at 4-11 at Wrigley Field, 9-9 on the road. You'd like to be better at the friendly confines, but they haven't been friendly so far. They're a half game back of the Pirates after last night's game. Uh, for fourth, uh, right, they sit fourth, uh, you know, five and a half ahead of Cincinnati. But I think my kids' travel team's ahead of Cincinnati right now in the standings. Um, Keep forgetting to bring so that last, drum. Yeah, so, the, uh, so last night, uh, the Pirates, who won a no-hitter on Sunday, come into Wrigley Field and cough up an eight spot in the first inning. Uh, Wilson Contreras, the Cubs catcher, leading off the game, hits a double to get the party started. They batted all the way around, and in his second at bat of the first inning, uh, Wilson capped off an eight-run first with a grand slam. Nice. That was a nice touch. So he became the first player since 1961 with an extra base hit and a grand slam in the same first inning. That's a trip, man. That's a Kind of a fun. So, so we talk about this every week, Paul. You see stuff that you've never seen before. You haven't seen it 50 years before. It happens all the time, but there's so much stuff in baseball that it's fun when you get these little nuggets. Like it's been 51 years since someone let off, a, you know, in the first inning had a grand slam and an extra base hit. And now Wilson Contreras, a catcher, is added to that list with a grand slam and a double. But here's the fun part for Wilson. Uh, the salami was the 100th home run of his career, all with the Chicago Cubs which makes him only the third catcher in the long-storied 
unfortunately, uh, cloudy uh, history of the Chicago Cubs. Primary catcher, I should say. We're not counting Kyle Schwarber, who broke in as a catcher. Uh, they hit 100 home runs for the Cubs. The other two, Hall of Famer Gabby Hartnett and uh, Jody Davis, who was fabulous back in the 80s. Um, Gabby hit 231 for the Cubs. Jody hit 122, and now Wilson with 100. So uh, nice moment for him. Uh, another fun nugget on Contreras here. Since he broke in with the Cubs in 2016, only five other catchers have hit more than 100 home runs. Salvi Perez, who had the big year last year and got halfway to 100 in one year. Uh, your old friend, uh, and now Minnesota's problem, the crack in Gary Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Uh, current White Sox backstop, but well-traveled Yasmani Grandal, Mike Zanino, and JT Realmuto. All so, great baseball names, by the way. Pr- yeah, pretty good. Uh, you cover most of the alphabet there. Yep. And uh, and you've got uh, a pretty nice little group of company there for Wilson Contreras. But here's the problem. When I say it's kind of good, but a massive caveat on this for Wilson a lot of the buzz in Chicago as he got to 99 and we knew 100 was coming at some point was what's going on with Wilson. He's in the final year of his contract. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. As far as the lineup goes, he and Jason Hayward are the only remaining pieces from the World Series team after they burned it down last year and traded Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez. Uh, and the question is, as the Cubs rebuild, is Wilson going to be the guy that takes them into the next generation or – because there have been zero conversations with Wilson and or his agent about anything financial after this season, or is he a guy that gets moved? Um, and that's something that's given a lot of, uh, a lot of consternation on the sports talk circuit here in Chicago, because a lot of people love Wilson. Look, he's a great catcher. He's got a big time arm, does a great job behind the plate. Uh, and the offense is obviously something that he brings to the table as well. Uh, you just you have to wonder with where the Cubs are at right now. Is Wilson a guy that's, that finds himself on the trade block? Well, I'm going to say at age 30 and with the Cubs, I mean, all the changes they've made here in the last season or two, I mean, get something good for him and let the guy go try and win something somewhere, you know? I mean, that's my, and, that's and my you know, take. And, and we've talked about this. I said it three years ago. Uh, I was – big time banging the drum for it last year because he was at the same place in his career age-wise and production-wise that JT Realmuto was. And you look at the package that the Marlins got for Realmuto from the Phils. Well, let me ask you this too, Teb. As far as catches are concerned, you know, when do you when do you want to bring in a new stud behind the plate? Because it, it's such a huge position, you know, as far as, you know, uh, you know, working your roster. I mean, your pitching staff, obviously. Um Defensively, leadership, everything else. I mean, you want to you, you want to kind of kind of get in there. I mean, I mean, this is. I think what I'm trying to get to is this a big impact here too because of the position that he plays. So, you know, and and if if the Cubs are are you know turning the corner here, um, and you're not going to make a run for it this year. I'm sorry to break your heart, Tab. They're not going to win the World Series this year. So, Mm-mm. why not let zero the, surprise level there? Yeah. So. Um, and you know, let me know who talk about who's um, who's coming behind him right now. I'm asking you, knowing the team, knowing the city, knowing the club, and knowing the roster. Looking at it that way, is that a way to go? As far as just the the the, the mere fact of his age uh, and and the position, and and kind of turning things over here and, and giving somebody else the ball behind the plate. So here's the thing: they they had a young catching prospect named Miguel Amaya, who a lot of people really liked you know, a few years back, 
Um, you know, he was a guy that was on the fringes of the top 100 lists when the different prospect rating services are throwing stuff out there like that. Um, but he, he's dealt with some injury problems the last couple of years. And obviously with the pandemic canceling minor league baseball two years ago, lots of guys that are at that stage of their minor league progression took a step back. So um, it doesn't look like he's necessarily ready right now. But what's interesting about the Cubs situation, you're right. You know, you're in a rock and hard place if you're breaking in young pitchers having a young you know an experienced veteran catcher behind the plate to be kind of a solid presence and call a good game and settle the guys down is a big positive right uh when Contreras came up in 2016 the Cubs had Miguel Montero as a veteran who was splitting the duties with him but Montero's was kind of a journeyman at that point so having him split in games with Contreras and you know and David Ross was there as well usually just catching John Lester as his personal guy. But, um, but you know, Wilson's a clearly established number one right now. And if you're going to break a young guy, and usually if it's a guy that you really think is the guy, and I look at like Joey Bart in San Francisco, he came up when Buster Posey was sitting out in 2020 and struggled a little bit. Uh, and now, now he's the guy and he got a little bit more seasoning. And now he, he looks like he's going to be the guy for them for a while. Um, but the, right now, inside the Cubs organization, they don't have a guy who's ready to come in like Will Smith did, not the Fresh Prince, but for the Dodgers, um, <laughs> and be like a middle-of-the-lineup bat calling a good game behind the plate. That guy doesn't exist in the Cubs organization right now. But what makes it even more intriguing is they went out on the free agent wire and signed Jan Gomes in the offseason to be catcher 1B, or number 2, if you will. And so Gomes is a guy who has been you know, World Series ring uh, with the Nationals a few years ago, um, you know, one of the very few players from Brazil in the major leagues. So a little bit of a trendsetter there. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that's carried the mail and he, he's a guy that could give you 120 games. He's done it in the past. And, you know, he's not Wilson Contreras, but he's a he's the veteran that you could lean on more heavily if he goes. And then you look at bringing in a young guy, uh, you know, either bring him in via trade or find somebody in the organization that can be the next guy to step up I don't know that Amaya is ready to be a guy that gets called up yet but he's kind of getting that point contractually that you start thinking about when do we give this kid a crack and see what he's got at the big league level but Jan Gomes is a veteran on the roster right now for the Chicago Cubs that at least is interesting enough um, that if they moved Contreras they wouldn't be handing the reins to a kid with no safety net in place uh, so they actually did kind of set the table here that if they do get to a place where Contreras gets moved um, you know, they're, they would be okay. And starting three years ago, I was banging the drum. I think the perfect fit for Wilson Contreras is your Yankees. Aha! I was just going to discuss and, that And, uh, you know, Higashioka is a really good catcher, but he's when you look at what Contreras can old, do, man. but when you look at what Wilson can do with the, the bat and calls a good game and he's got a big-time arm and the way that teams are running more in, in the American League this year, um, you know, Houston's running, Seattle's running, Tampa always is on the move. Uh, you know, I've really felt for three years that that would, I thought Contreras would be the first guy dealt, not Rizzo, Bryant, Baez. And I thought Wilson to the Yankees was just a perfect fit. And the Yankees have the organizational depth that, you know, they've got some young players uh, that, you know, and they've got some overlap with guys at shortstop, especially even though the Cubs have got a boatload of shortstops. But, you know, I think the Yankees have some young players that would intrigue the Cubs as they look at accelerating their rebuild. And Contreras would be a huge, huge piece for them 
who calls a good game, who's got a ring. And look, we, we've talked at length about what the leadership is that Anthony Rizzo brings to the table and what having a ring in the room actually means for that team. Hey, by the way, Tab, if I haven't said thank you enough for Anthony Rizzo, I just, I just want to say it again. Yeah. Thank you for Anthony Rizzo. You're welcome. Uh, you know, and my oldest son still collects his cards and still loves him to death, but he's not getting a Yankee jersey. Um, though I might have to go buy myself a bias Detroit jersey and grow a mustache and wear a Hawaiian shirt and a Tiger's hat and figure out a way to afford a helicopter and get the full Magnum PI effect. Anyway, I digress. Uh, you know, you, you know what age you are when you're when you see a Tiger's hat and the first thing to go through your head isn't Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker, Cecil Fielder, or Kirk Gibson. It's Magnum PI. Yes. But uh, but I think I think Wilson of the Yankees makes a ton of sense. It's just whether or not the Yankees want to mix things up at this point. But uh, if I was a betting man, I'd say Wilson goes at some point, and it's going to be another tough one for Cubs fans to stomach. But when you're rebuilding, these are the decisions that you make. And with him being in the last year of his contract, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough spot. But I love Wilson Contreras, um, you know, covering the game, seeing him in the clubhouse, uh, great rapport with the guy. I I wrote a story about him, uh, got married on an off day a couple years ago, um, and just the things that he's done to try and get his family's situation coming out of Venezuela better. We talked a couple weeks ago about that great scene when he and his brother, William, yep. exchanged the lineup cards in Atlanta, and they've got two major league catchers out of the same family, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. He's a leader. He's a firebrand. He's got a lot of emotion, plays with his heart on his sleeve. He's a guy that will run through a wall for you, and guys will run through a wall following him because he's that kind of a, an energy in the lineup. And I just think he's a guy that if he gets traded, he's going to go somewhere and make an immediate impact for the team that he joins. And, uh, and they're going to really – and the fans are going to fall in love with him, just like Mets fans to an extent with Baez. They hated him with the thumbs down, and then by the end of the season they liked him. Uh, obviously you're head over heels in love with Anthony Rizzo in New York. And, uh, you know, Chris Bryant got the bag from Colorado. So we'll see how that works out. But, uh, but Wilson, you know, special moment yesterday, hundredth home run as a catcher for the Chicago Cubs, third player in the history of the organization to do that. He's on a short list of guys since he came up in 16 to have more than a hundred home runs. So he's, he's obviously a special player. Uh, and I think in the in the scheme of things, he's been taken for granted in Chicago, both by the front office and also, I, I think when you look at the league wide conversation about what what's been good in Chicago over the last few years, and some fan base is going to find out just how good he is, if and when he gets traded, because he's a really good player, and I will miss him in Chicago because he's he's been a great dude to work with, great dude to talk to, and just a really fun player to watch. Yeah, no, uh, full marks there, and, and hey, look, no matter where he goes, uh, that's what I would look for. I'd love to see to see him get a chance to to get a run another shot, the title, and uh, yeah, I think he'd look great in, in stripes too. Hey, one last thing here, just, you know, we're talking about numbers and years and everything else, and, you know, the, the 100 home runs here, and it was, you know, first player since 1961, uh, and look, I know it's probably too much Yankees for all you anti-Yankee fans out here, but I thought this was a trip the other day too. You know, the Yankees have been around since 1901. That's 121 years, Tab. And um, Anthony Rizzo with 10 home runs, Aaron Judge with 12, and Stanton with 10, right? That's the first yep. time, and this is from ESPN Stats and Info, first time in Yankees history, 121 years, that the team had three players with double-digit home runs 
with the team within the team's first 35 games of the season. When you think of all the amazing players and hitters that have put on the pinstripes and have played for this franchise, I was blown away that this is the first time in history that three guys have had you know more than 10 home runs within the first 35 games. It just blew me away. Yeah, that's. But again, every it seems like every day, every year, you have something crop up, and you're like, "There's no way." And you look at it again. You go back. I mean, you'd think that was there. There had to be another guy with Mantle and Maris, right? I mean, Murderers Row had to do it, right? Yeah, exactly. Nope. Yep. It's so I mean, but but look, you know, for all the crap that we threw at Cashman for having an ugly roster last year in a lineup that had more holes than a slice of Swiss cheese. <laughs> He went out at the deadline and rectified a lot of that and then was able to keep some of the guys. And to your point earlier, the Yankees have the balance that they didn't have for the first half of last year now. Who and you're seeing it pay off. Who said that the first episode of LDR this year? Who said that when they questioned the lineup and the changes? It, that uh, it, it, it was not the guy with the solar panel showing. It was the guy with the uh, Yankees cap uh, keeping the quaff down uh, as we record this fine episode today. All right. Well, that was the good, ladies and gentlemen, here on LDR this week. It's now time, unfortunately, as we play the gangster music for the band on LDR. And uh, I got no problem. Well, I got to tell you. If you thought it was bad in Toronto as far as on the baseball field, I hate to swing back to the hockey conversation. Woo! Uh-oh. It's, it's, it's got to be a hurting up there. I don't know how Toronto FC's doing. As far as the MLS season's going on and Raptors and everything, but... Maybe whoa. we're banking on the Argonauts? Oh, oh no. <laughs> There's a foul stench coming out of the city of Toronto these days. Take it away, Tab. Where do you want to start here? Well, and it, again, you know, and in all seriousness, to take a very brief moment... Um, because there's a lot of ugly in the world right now. The you know news out of Toronto on the hockey side of things this morning was that one of the Leafs' young stars, Mitch Marner, got carjacked last night. Yeah, I saw that, man. Um, so you hate seeing that, but yeah, I mean Toronto's they're they're hurting right now. You know the Leafs fell apart again. They're the first team in baseball, basketball, or hockey history to lose in the first round five straight years. Um, so, I mean, they're dealing with that, the Raptors folded and now, you know, going into the season, we're talking Toronto's offense is a juggernaut. They're going to score a ton of runs. We, we were really worried about, you know, what the pitching was going to look like with the Cy Young winner leaving, like the retool and some stuff, you know, are they going to win game seven, five, lose game six, four, like you're going to hit the ball. We weren't, we weren't worried about Toronto's offense. Ah, we, we spoke too soon. Uh, and we talked about the struggles that the Cubs have been having. Um, entering yesterday, uh, the Blue Jays had scored as many runs in 35 games as the Cubs had scored in 33. 130. It's not good. Uh, and they ranked 22nd in Major League Baseball and team on base percentage, sub 300. Didn't see that coming. Uh, they are seven and a half games back of the Yankees already. They've lost seven of their last 10. Some of their big batters are struggling. They're throwing their lineup in a blender like the hockey coach would. You know, you got Vladdy leading off. It's just if if Kansas City is firing their hitting coach, what's what's going to happen in Toronto here? Because, look, they're in a situation. We, we talked about it at length. We don't need to get after, you know, the non-responsive horse here. But um, that division is stacked. 
Uh, you know, the Red Sox, we've talked about a little bit. Like, there might be a fire sale there. Um, but in 36 games, to score 136 runs, uh, to have a negative 11 run differential, uh, to be in all of this coming while you're 11 and 6 at home somehow, you know, they're two games over 500, but that offense is just not getting it done. And with the Yankees playing as well as they are, seven and a half games is not insurmountable. We know that from the Braves last year. But, I mean, Tampa's not going to go away. It doesn't look like the Yankees are going to slow down much. they got to figure something out because pretty much everybody on that roster is struggling. And we thought that the Chapman addition was going to be a great fit. Uh, I'm not blaming him for that personally. But, look, Marcus Simeon left as a free agent. He was an MVP finalist last year. Uh, had a historic offensive season at second base. They moved Kevin Biggio over there, who's had some issues at the plate in his young career. Uh, you know, Chapman, we we had talked about the fact that he's not a high batting average on base percentage guy. Um, but their big bats aren't getting it done right now, and you just scratch your head a little bit and wonder what's going on with the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, and looking ahead at the schedule here, too, you know um... – one last night, Seattle uh, against Seattle. Sorry, uh, a couple more here against the Mariners. Then they play, uh, you know, the Mighty Reds. A couple games against St. Louis, and then a four-game stretch against the Angels, uh, backed up with a three-game set against the White Sox. So, so outside of Cincinnati, you've got yeah, you've got a gauntlet coming here, Absolutely. and it, it's proving time. It's you got to get. So maybe you just need Cincinnati to come out and give you, you know, some BP. Uh, to kind of get you feeling good about yourself again and then go back to mashing. But something's got to change in Toronto because it ain't, it ain't working. And uh, it, it needs to be fixed because something's off. Um, this is not a team that you would look at on paper and think that they're going to have a sub-300 on base percentage through 36 games. Not I batting that, average, on I, base percentage. Well, no doubt. I think you just got too many guys spending too much time at the hair salon on the Blue Jays. That's all I gotta say. Look, Lourdes Gurriel's mane is majestic. <laughs> uh, nicknames Lapina because he, he's got the hair that looks like the top of a pineapple. Uh, best nickname in the game, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where I, sometimes you've got so much talent, and we talked about this when the Cubs broke up last year, and where I thought that it was broken. Sometimes when you have so much ability, uh, the personal responsibility and ownership of the individual role and function and job on the team gets lost a little bit. And you, if you don't drive the guy in from second base, the lineup is so good behind you that you just, you're too okay. Mm -hmm. Not driving the guy in from second base because you feel too comfortable that the guy behind you can get it done. And when you have that, when the roster is full of guys that are, that become complacent to the idea that the guy behind him is an all-star so he can drive in the run. If I don't, and you're not pissed that you're not driving in the run and you're not doing that job and getting it done, that's where you start to have big-time struggles. And I don't care if you're a, a house league with your son, if you're my son's travel team, if you're uh, you know, a, the University of Michigan or Creighton or UIC or you are uh, the Toronto Blue Jays or the New York Yankees, if, if you don't take personal ownership for the role that you are, need to play, if you step up to the plate with a guy in second base, your mentality should be to replace the guy in second base. Not if I don't drive him in, the next guy will. Mm-hmm. 
bare minimum, it's got to be a ground ball to the right side to get him to third base if there's less than two outs. Bare minimum, if not drive him in. And I feel like the Blue Jays have gotten to a point where there's so much talent on that roster that they are too comfortable that the next guy will get it done if I don't. And the personal ownership is not uh, consistently strong enough from the guys in their lineup that they don't feel like they have to do it. And you should feel like you have to do it every single at bat at the highest level. There's a dude on second base. You should be driving him in and they're not right now. And, and it's just, it's a, it's a struggle. Teams go through these funks, but I don't think either one of us would have bet, uh, you know, red cent, much less a paycheck that, uh, as we're in the middle of May, that the Toronto Blue Jays would be bottom third of the league in so many offensive categories as a roster. So something's got to change, uh, and we'll see if they're able to work it out because as you outlined with their upcoming schedule, they're going to run a gauntlet here. It's not getting easier for them. And in that division, no, no one's going to make life easy for them, so, except Baltimore. Um, but, uh, but no, they, they've got to – they got to find something to fix it. So maybe they got to call Crash Davis up so he can go turn the sprinklers on. Well, Tab, I see, you know, we're talking a lot about the lineup here. What about the bench boss here as far as uh, Charlie Montoya here, uh, whose full name is Jose Carlos Montoya? Uh, when do you look behind the bench here as far as, you know, I mean, a lot of those things that you're talking about there, I mean, the talent, the drive, the importance of um, what these guys have to bring to the plate and how they should be, you know, uh, you know, setting up there and, 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 you know, performing all around here. I mean, when do you look, uh, you know, behind the bench here and, and see how things are being, how the strings are being pulled uh, behind the bench? Yeah, we've, we've, we've talked about that cliche and we, we, you know, tongue in cheek about the Royals firing their hitting coach. Like it's his fault that the team's not hitting, you know, unfortunately you can't fire the, the players. I mean, I don't think that they're going to have a fire sale in Toronto because they're too all in right now to do that. Um, so unfortunately the guy that's going to have the seat, the hottest is the manager, right? It's either going to be the hitting coach goes or the manager is going to start hearing it. And now that the Maple Leafs are done, just the reality of Toronto as a market, um, with the Maple Leafs being done, the eyes of the city are going to turn to the diamond and expectations from a fan base. That's incredibly passionate when they're good and they're expected to be good. Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to start hearing more noise about that. And, you know, I give Montoyo some credit because, like I said, he's thrown his lineup in a blender a handful of times already in the last couple of weeks. He's trying to mix it up. He's trying to find a way to get these guys out of a funk. He's trying to find different combinations that are going to work. Um, but it, it, nothing's really consistently clicking so that he can find something and stick with it and ride it while it's hot. They haven't gotten on a heater here yet this year. And so, again – but I think we also need to take a step back for a second and say, look, they're over, they're two games over 500, which when you look at the American league right now, there are three teams in the East over 500. There is one team over 500 in the central. The white Sox are break even right now. And in the West, you've only got two teams over 500. So outside of their division, you've got three teams over 500 and you've got three in their division. So as far as the playoffs go, they're not out of the playoffs right now. So it's kind of like, even with the offense being that bad, they're still 11 and six at home. Mm-hmm. They're still in a, you know, sitting in the mix for a playoff spot. Right. And I think when you look at their team on paper, you feel a hell of a lot better about their prospects at getting in the postseason than the Cleveland guardians. 
Uh, though I would submit Seattle is a team that you got to be fearful of because I think that with Julio Rodriguez starting to figure it out, they're going to start, you know, making some noise out there in the West. But again, with the expanded playoffs, again, the the danger here is that you can be playing that badly and sit back too long and say, well, we're still in a playoff spot. We'll figure it out at some point and figure that these guys are just going to ride it out. Like you got to flip the switch at some point. You got to figure it out at some point. Um, and so that's why now that we're into the middle of May, you've got enough of a sample size that you say, okay, now it's time for something to click, get one guy off and then somebody will follow and then it'll start moving because in that lineup, if George Springer gets off, it changes everything. If Vladdy's doing his thing, it's totally different, right? If Bo Bichette's mashing, it's totally different. If Tescar Hernandez, who was an all-star last year, finds what he was doing last year, the whole vibe is different. But right now everybody's scuffling. And so they need one or two guys to maybe have a good week, have a good weekend, have a good set. Maybe Cincinnati does that for them. It's done it for a lot of other teams. Um, but they're, they're going to go through a stretch here where they need to buck up and get after it because teams aren't going to go away. Like I said, Seattle's going to figure some stuff out. The White Sox are going to get healthy and get better. Uh, and I don't think, you know, Tampa's not going to go away. So they're, they're going to be in a fight here. They already are. And they've got to find some offense. So... We'll see what Toronto does if, if there's a move, if there's an addition, if there's a subtraction, if there's a change, or how soon, you know, the the water starts to boil around the uh, the manager's office because something's got to give. And with hockey done in Toronto, you're going to have the Blue Jays being the focal point of that sports media scene but here have, for the know, next, the Blue Jays next used, while. But the, the Blue Jays are used to hockey being done at this time of the year, every year. Touché. So. I mean, As we said, five straight years, first round bounce for the Leafs. Yeah, I mean, so, um, I don't know if, that, maybe they, know if the Blue Jays can, you know, they're maybe used to they that need, pressure. Maybe, maybe they need a motivational down. speech from Ty Domi. Oh, no. No. All right. Folks. And, and look, you know, who better to explain going the other way than Ty Domi's nose? Uh, <laughs> for those that are joining us again, another hockey reference Ty Domi was a. One of the great uh, fighters in the National Hockey League uh, 20, 30 years ago. His son was actually a hero, ironically, for the team that ended his career, the Carolina Hurricanes, in the last round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, uh, but no, Toronto's got to find a vibe here, and they got to figure it out and get that offense rolling. And there's enough talent there that I think we can confidently say that at some point they're going to come out of hibernation. But you can't wait too long. You know, because as Yogi Berra once said, it's getting late early. Oh, man, love that quote, and I uh, don't mind seeing the stress up there in Toronto uh, for those Blue Jays as far as uh, our division rivals there. So uh, good luck to the Blue Jays. So there you go, folks. There's the good and bad this week here on Line Drive Radio. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get your pens, your pencils, your pads, your iPhones out, whatever, however way you're taking notes, because it's time for Tab's Fantasy Ad of the Week right here on Line Drive Radio. I mean, forget about Bitcoin. Forget about stocks and Twitter. I mean, make your money right here at Line Drive Radio. Tab Bamford's Fantasy Ad of the Week. Tab, who we got this week? Hey, hey, I mean, if you want to live the Elon Musk life and you want to maybe jump in and actually be able to buy Twitter, um, if you take our sound advice on a weekly basis, perhaps the royalties from your fantasy baseball team could do that for you. Uh, so we're going deep cuts this week, Paul. Uh, we're deep going cuts, to a man. young man who is owned in only three 
percent of Yahoo Fantasy leagues. That's zero three percent. Ninety-seven percent of leagues he's available. Uh, an option at first base or in the outfield for your roster. We love to offer you guys uh, and gals out there in radio listener land positional versatility, so that when injuries crop up or if somebody you know ends up on the COVID list, the parent list, parent whatever list, you know you're going to have guys missing for a while here. If you need some depth at a couple places, it's good to have that versatility on the bench. Uh, Gavin Sheets. What a name! Of the Chicago White Sox. Look, uh, here's what's interesting about the White Sox. They got a couple young guys in Sheets and Andrew Vaughn who are uh, by trade first basemen, but they have uh, recent American League MVP Jose Abreu holding it down at first. Uh, one of the better veteran first basemen in the game. So there's nowhere to put him on the regular. Uh, and they might get a crack every once in a while when he DHs, but uh, but you got to find somewhere to go. Sheets is a good athlete. Vaughn's a good athlete. So they've been getting some run in the outfield at times. And with, as we said earlier, Eloy Jimenez missing in action for a significant chunk of time here with a hammy issue, Sheets has been getting some quality run in the outfield. Uh, in the last week, he's batting 385 with three home runs and seven runs batted in. Uh, and so even with Andrew Vaughn coming back off the injured reserve and Yon Mankata back in the lineup, you're starting to see more of a closer to full strength White Sox lineup. Luis Roberts murdering the ball. If you don't have him too bad, uh, because I think, as I said before the season, he's an MVP caliber guy, but Gavin Sheets is going to benefit from the organizational uh, approach and the fact that they've got guys and Tony LaRusse is going to get the best bats in the lineup every day, whether they're playing outfield or first base or DHing. Uh, and Sheets is a guy that's on a heater right now, and they're going to find a way to bat him. So coming off a week uh, that is included seven runs batted in, three jacks and a 385 average, we are strongly encouraging those that are looking for a depth add on their fantasy roster. If you are in one of the 97% of Yahoo leagues where he is available to think about, first base outfield, White Sox uh, bat, Gavin sheets as this week's line drive radio fantasy ad of the week and he's got a great post career to look forward to if he ever gets into the uh the linen business back in his hometown i'm sure that he could get you 30 percent off at bed bath and beyond he'll mail you a coupon (laughs) oh man i love it i love it so much so there you go folks gavin sheets get him win some money and uh, we should take Venmo, PayPal here, all USD. No Bitcoin yet here at LDR. but Because uh, that's not doing too well right now, from what I've heard, Tab. So we'll just keep it's, it real. It's been a tough week. USD, USD. All right, so uh, all good stuff. Well, there you go, folks. Another week. Line Drive Radio is in the books. A lot of baseball on today. Tuesday, May 17th there, Mr. Tab Bamford, including three doubleheaders. And my Yanks will be going for as many wins this season as they have titles. 27. Going for win 27. Subtle. Subtle. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? So, folks, no no, uh, no loss of baseball to watch today. Uh, so get out there. Support the teams. So uh, before we uh, shut down the concession stands, turn off the lights, turn the sprinklers on in the infield. No, not in the infield. The outfield. Somewhere, anyway. we got to keep the greens good. And lock the gates. It's time to say goodbye. As always, thank you so much for listening, following, and make sure you follow us everywhere at Lawn Drive Radio. And you can find me and Tab always on the Twitter. So, Tab, as always, please say 
say goodbye to the good folks out there. Grab a glove. Grab a bat. Get a ball. Take the son and daughter out there. Throw it around a little bit. Go watch a game. Uh, support your minor league teams. Uh, and remember, when coaching kids, they're kids. Let them have the fun. And you just enjoy a good cocktail in the stands. Wise words. I'm a good man. All right, folks. Line Drive Radio is out. As always, play ball! Woo! Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.